0: We have been um, going through the book of Mark, and uh, so if you're a guest today, thank you for coming, and you need to know that we're on part three of our series through the book of Mark, and we are going to make our way all the way through, and it's been pretty good so far. Help me out now. The more you support me, the better this is going to be, right? Yeah, this is how it goes. Um, but uh, we have been uh, walking our way through the book, and um, we are going to be looking at Mark chapter 3, and uh, the latter half of Mark chapter 3, and the uh, first part, uh, actually almost all of chapter 4 today. The crowds in the kingdom. Um, when we started this series on Mark a few weeks ago, we learned and I mentioned that the emphasis in Mark is different than the other Gospels. That Matthew is writing to Jews and and uh, Luke it has his own purpose. John is writing to show that uh, Jesus is the Son of God. And Mark sometimes is that little forgotten Gospel. But Mark is an amazing book, and I encourage you uh, again this week Keep reading through the book of Mark as we go through this series, and I think that you'll get a lot out of it. The book of Mark is an action movie. Mark is always, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the emphasis is on what Jesus did rather than on what Jesus said. And so he's always going to things that Jesus did and then pulling out lessons and and spiritual points uh, uh, over what Jesus did more than what Jesus said. He doesn't include... The Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't include huge chunks of Jesus teaching because that, that's not what his focus was. His focus was to look at what Jesus did rather than what Jesus uh, taught. But all of that to say, now I'm going to contradict myself, but he, this portion that we're going to look at today is one of the very, very, actually really, really few passages in the whole book that Mark actually looks at some of the teaching of Jesus and, and and talks about it and brings it up. And so this is where we are today. In chapter 1, uh, we saw that uh, Mark is showing us that Jesus is the Son of God who came with authority. Remember that? Authority over the demons and authority over sickness and authority over disease. He came with authority and he came with compassion. In chapter 2, we, we saw that Jesus comes to bring and, and offer people forgiveness. He comes to offer us fulfillment. He comes to give us freedom, and all that uh, we saw last week. This section today, like I said, it's one of those rare moments in the book that Mark takes the time to write about the teaching of Jesus. And so um, it's important because this is why it's important. It's important because it wasn't the emphasis of Mark, but yet he found it important enough to stick it in there. And so when something is odd there's a reason that the uh, that the author is sticking it in there when it's really he t- he took a left turn and threw it in there when his main point was over here and so it's it's a little bit important to just note that he takes the time to write about the teaching of Jesus he takes notice that Jesus uh, every time Jesus teaches he teaches the crowds with stories called parables and you're familiar with many of the parables that Jesus taught. But before we get into that, this is where we start today. Matthew, uh, or sorry, Mark three thirteen to 19, and Jesus chooses his 12 apostles. And it says this, Afterward, Jesus went up to a mountain and called out the ones that he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and, they would, and, and he would send them out to preach, giving them... Isn't that interesting? Yeah. He's giving them authority to cast out demons. Here are their names. Simon, who we, we call Peter, James, and John, the son of Ze- Zebedee. Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Just, just Okay, on, I'll, I'll go back there a second. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and then, of course, Judas Iscariot, the one who, uh, who gets more press uh, than he needs to get. So these are the 12. Some of the names are different. If you look through Matthew or you look through Luke, some of the names are different. It can be confusing because in Bible times, people were were noted and known actually for sometimes two or three names. And so uh, it it can be a little bit confusing, but this is Mark's uh, version of the 12. The 12 are always the 12. It's just sometimes they're called by different names. So everywhere Jesus goes he's mobbed by huge crowds. And I just wanted to note, when Jesus called James and John the sons of thunder, now when we think of John, you think of John as sort of the apostle of love, don't you? He talks about love all the time, you know? First John, it's all about love and, and, and you know, love and love. But I want you to know that John wasn't really like that. Uh, anyway, I don't want to sidetrack, but it's it's interesting that the, the, the guy that we think is the, the love, mushy, valentine guy, Jesus calls him a son of thunder. So uh, there's something else going on there that I think we miss. But anyway, so everywhere Jesus goes, he's mobbed by huge crowds. And Mark wants to show us here that Jesus is not about pleasing the crowds. If he was about pleasing the crowds, he, he would have operated and done a lot of different things. But he, he shows us that he's on a mission to teach and to train disciples. And he was very concerned about finding a core group to start with who would carry on his work after he was gone. And so he creates for himself an inner circle here, uh, a group who would be the closest to him. And, it's, and he starts with these 12 men. He, he, uh, and, and 12 is a very interesting number. I, again, there's so much stuff that I don't want to get into it all, but 12 is an interesting number. 12 tribes of Israel... 12 disciples, uh, 12 by 12, you see uh, 12,000 cubits and all these things. 12 is a very interesting Bible number, but he picks 12. And Luke 6, by the way, won't take the time to read it, but in Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus spent the entire night praying before he made this choice of these 12 men. So he spent the entire night praying before he made this very important choice. So these 12 men are going to be trained, they're going to be mentored uh, by Jesus uh, so that they can preach the gospel and that they can go and do it with authority, right? So that they can go and do it with his authority. And so he's not a bad mentor, eh? Not a bad mentor. And so these guys are highly, highly blessed and uh, just honored to be a part of the 12 that Jesus chose. They were going to be able to continue his work long after uh, Jesus was gone, and the kingdom, and continue the work of the kingdom. This is uh, one other point before I want to get into the teaching. Jesus makes a point about families here, and starting a new family in Mark 3.20. So says, one time Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Like I said, everywhere he went, he's like a rock star. He's mobbed at this point in his life. And soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. This is how bad it was. But when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. He's out of his mind. It's really interesting. This is actually the only time that his mother Mary even shows up in the book and, and, uh, and his family. So... We know that Mary is a virgin. She gives birth to Jesus, but after Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph go on and they have several children. They—I uh, won't take the time—but but, but he has brothers, he has sisters, and uh, he has a family. Half brothers, I guess, technically. So uh, anyway, his family comes. They hear what Jesus is doing. They 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 know that he's being mobbed by people. They think that he's losing it. That he's lost it. That he's out of his mind. That he needs basically an intervention, you know? He needs counseling. He needs help. He, we need to go rescue him. And so they try, right? They think he's lost his mind. They see the crowds, they hear all this thing, and they think they need his help. So he, they didn't really realize yet at this point who Jesus really was. And so uh, they, they were operating in the dark. Um, look at this, Mark 3. This goes on in uh, 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, they stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. And there was a crowd sitting around Jesus. And someone said, your mother and your brothers are, are here, or are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is a, a really interesting insight here. Jesus, by the way, is not being rude to his family, right? They're coming because they're worried about him and they're trying to get to him, you know, to make this big intervention. And he's not being rude to his family by sort of brushing them aside. Like he understands, of course he understands that they mean well, but, but what they were trying to do was wrong. They didn't understand that, but it, it, it was still true that what they were doing was wrong. And so he uses this moment to teach this, this spiritual lesson, That his family is made up of those who do the will of God. That is who my family is, he says. So he's not suggesting, by the way, that we abandon our families in order to serve God. But what he is saying is that we place obeying God's will above everything and everyone else. And so he makes that point quite clearly. So this is our top priority, and those that make that their top priority are really a part of God's family, and and those are the ones that he sees as, as his deeper family. So listen, we may have different earthly families here, right? All of us do, but if we trust Jesus as Savior and we enter into God's eternal family, then he becomes our Abba, right? He becomes our Father, right? So you know, like uh, Terry and I, you know, we're, as they say, brothers from another mother, you know? Like, this is, this is how it is, right? This is God's family. And Jesus is making the point, don't, let these, don't, don't don't let these things hold you back. Don't let anybody hold you back from doing the will of God. Those that do the will of God really enter into a new realm of living and a new family is born. And that family was created a long, long time ago, and it continues to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Billions of people will gather around his throne one day, and we will all be brothers and sisters together. We are family. Whether you like that person to the left or right of you, get used to it and get over it, because we are family. You think you can't get rid of your earthly family because they're your blood? How about somebody who's going to live with you forever? You'll never get rid of them. Good thing we're going to be perfect when we get there. It'll be all right. Because that could be a long time for some of you. You know what I'm saying? So Anyway, so Jesus makes this point. So he goes to teach now about the kingdom. And you'll notice in in this uh, chunk of... He says kingdom multiple times. Four, five, six times, seven times even. He just says the word the kingdom... The kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is, and he keeps using the kingdom a lot in this, in this next chunk. So from verse, basically verse Mark 3, from verse 22, moving forward, Jesus starts to use stories and parables to teach those who would listen about his kingdom. So we know that the Jews wanted a Messiah who would come to rescue them from the Romans and to restore their freedom. And Jesus, of course, is their Messiah, but his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, not the ones the Jews were expecting. And many couldn't wrap their heads around uh, a a spiritual kingdom rather than a physical one. But this is why Jesus began to tell stories and parables. He explained his kingdom, his spiritual kingdom, by using parables. Now, parables are amazing. I, I, I hope I can convey this properly to get... So that you get a sense of, of this, but parables are these stories that he would use that would that would paint pictures uh, in the minds of people. He would get their attention by by painting these pictures, and people it, people would be immediately grabbed. He made you use your imagination, and he got you thinking. He got you thinking about it, like what is he really trying to say? What is this story really about, you know? And he, and he told these amazing stories. Now, why did he teach in parables? Thank you for asking, because I'm going to try to answer that. Why he taught in parables is a very sort of interesting idea. But I believe that after I looked at this for a long time, it became clear as I read through this that, I know this is going to sound weird, but he actually used parables to hide the truth and to reveal the truth at the very same time. Now, I know you go, "Uh, it's Sunday morning, man, like I I didn't even have a coffee yet. I got to try to wrap my brain around that. But he taught in parables to reveal and to conceal at the same time. So let me try to work that out for you, okay? Mark 4, verse 10. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him, we're going to look at these parables, but they asked him, what did these parables mean? And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scripture might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Now, that that sounds weird. But here's the thing. You're not actually supposed to judge the parable. The parable is supposed to judge you. And and this is how we need to look at, at this. Someone who doesn't care to listen, someone who doesn't approach Jesus honestly, genuinely, with an authenticity, uh, ready to change, there's a humble uh, approach and an open mind, they are never going to receive the meaning of the stories. They're going to hear the parables, but most of the time they're not going to understand them fully. And if they do understand them, they're going to be insulted by the meaning, right? But those who do care to listen honestly, who do approach Him with an open mind and with humility, right? they will begin to, to see themselves in the parable. They will begin to understand the meaning of the parable in a different way. You see, a parable is really meant to be a mirror. When you look at it carefully and, 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 and uh, just slowly read through the details, you'll begin to see. Think about, you know, every. Uh, I'm going to get into it more, but like the parable the, the prodigal son, you all know that. I mean, when you read that story, He's trying to say, who are you? Who are you? Are you the son who's running from God? Are you the son or daughter who's running from God, who's grabbed all you can and is trying to live life without God? This is the end that you're going to come. Are you the older brother who's legalistic and rude and unloving and unwilling to accept and forgive people who come back? Or are you the welcoming father who says, I love you, son, and I'm so glad you're home. I've been waiting for you to return all this time. Who are you in this story? This is what parables are meant to be. So when you read parables, look at them like that, right? So hopefully that helps. But see yourself in the parable. It's a mirror, and when you approach it humbly with an open mind, you'll understand. If you don't, you won't get the meaning at all. And so this is why it's important. So, so with that as our background, now Mark gives us a few examples. First is about the strong man, Mark 3, 22 to 30. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, uh, similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit Will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. See, lots of I don't want to get into the unpardonable, unforgivable. I'm going to touch on it today, but it's a whole other ballgame. But my point today is look at where he look at where in context where he tied it in with. This is an important key to understanding what he's saying. Right? So he's talking about this strong man. Jesus gets accused of of getting his power from Satan. And so, and that's how he's able to cast out demons and do all the work that he's doing. And he responds and says, look, a kingdom can't stand if it's fighting against itself. That's common sense. Just use your brain. So uh, Jesus is saying, I'm casting out demons because, hey, wake up and see, I am stronger. I am stronger. I am stronger. And I can go into the strong man's house. I can tie him up and I can take whatever I want. I can plunder his goods because I am stronger. It's just that simple, right? And, and he's saying, listen, you, Satan cannot stop me. I can, I can save people. I can do the work that God's called me to do, and I cannot be stopped. This is what he's saying. He warns the religious leaders, okay? They're saying, that they're, he's saying to them, listen, you are in danger of committing an unforgivable sin here. This unforgivable sin, right, is to truly and continually reject the Son and to resist the Holy Spirit, right, it has consequences. It has consequences. And, and, we, and to be, I can't, I can't skip it without telling you the truth. When the Spirit of God convicts us of our sin, when He comes and He reveals the truth about Jesus to us, we are going to either accept it or we're going to reject it. And if you continually reject it, if if you continually live that way, rejecting the son, pushing away the spirit of God, not listening, closing up your mind, not opening up your life to him, then eventually he says you're going to run out of chances. This is what he says. Now, I know that I'm not getting a ton of amens. I, I, I get that. But listen, the great thing is this, okay? Now you'll feel better, okay? The great thing is this. God is so patient with us. Amen. And if there's life, there's hope. Right? If there's life, there's hope. And so, look at 2 Peter 3:9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No. He's being patient for your sake because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. And he wants everyone to repent. This is our God. So, if there's life, there's hope. He is stronger than Satan and he can save you no matter what you've done, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter what your background is, no matter what anyone has spoken about you, no matter the dysfunction or the darkness or the pain or how many skeletons are in your closet. Our God is stronger. This is what he's saying. And if you open up your life and receive me, I can come in and I can plunder you out of the kingdom of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of God, and I can do it because I am strong. This is his point. He's saying, if you, religious leader, if you keep rejecting me, if you keep closing your life and mind off to the moving of the Holy Spirit, there will eventually come a time when you will run out time. And so he's saying now is the time, now is the time, now is the time. But listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. If there's life, there's hope. And here's the beautiful thing. The thief on the cross proves that point, right? We don't know what kind of a debauched life he led or what mistakes he's made that led him to be hanging on a cross and sentenced to death But he looks over at Jesus and in a moment of honesty, in a moment of authenticity, in a moment of humility and opening up his mind, he's saying, remember me, remember me. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. See, where there's life, there's hope. But this is the thing that we have to get. He is stronger and he can rescue you. So never think that nobody is beyond hope. Never think that you're beyond hope. The worst person on this planet can be touched and transformed by the power of God. If they would just give him a chance, he would do great things in them and through them. And this is what he's saying. I am stronger than the strong man. All right, so next, each one is a sermon in itself, but I got to keep going here. So the next is a familiar one that many of you know, Mark 4, 1 to 9. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake, and a very large crowd soon gathered around him, and he gets into a boat. He sits in the boat while all the people are on the shore, and he taught them by telling them many stories in the forms of parables, such as this one. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across his field, some of it fell on the footpath. Birds came and ate it. Other seed fell in the shallow soil with underlying rock, and that seed sprouted quickly, because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and, and it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. And still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as been planted. Then he said, "Anyone who has ears to hear, listen, should hear and understand. Here's your chance. Here's your parable. Are you hoping? Are you minded? Who are you in this parable? Well, he's saying there's basically sort of four kinds of people, four kinds of hearts, four kinds of soil, right? He explains this. We won't go into it, but he explains it in in detail from verses 13 to 20, but let me give you the synopsis. The seed that's scattered, it represents the word, the God's word, and the farmer is the servant of God who shares the word with others. So we are the farmers, and we go out, and we start talking about Jesus, and we're throwing seed everywhere, right? We're just being lights in dark places, we're just doing our thing, and we're throwing seed everywhere. And, and it lands on different kinds of people, and you've all met all these different kinds of people. There's four different kinds as the seed is thrown. There's the hard heart. That's the person who, who um, resists the word. That's the person who, who just won't accept it, who's who's completely closed and cut off, who's completely against what you're saying. And that person makes it easy for Satan to come and just steal the seed away right away because the the ground is hard and it's easy for the birds to come and pick it and go. Right? That's the hard heart. The next, the second is the shallow heart. So this is the person who receives the word, who believes it, but, they, but fails to actually put roots down. They don't grow deeper into God. And so this is what happens. When you have no roots, you will fade quickly when a challenge comes. Oh, no, where's God? I'm walking away. And this is a person who receives but doesn't have the roots, and it's a shallow heart. So hard heart, shallow heart. The third is the crowded heart. And that's, this person also receives the word and believes But they have so many other things in their life that take up their attention, that take up their their money and their time and their focus. And the work of God in their life eventually gets choked out by all these other things. And we've met people like this, right? Jesus never became their priority. He was just in the mix of 20 or 30 other things. And when he's not priority, you'll, you know, this is what happens, he eventually gets choked out, and he 's lost somewhere along the way and so that 's the crowded heart. The last one is the fruitful heart, of course, and this is the person who receives the Word. this is the person who puts down roots, begins to grow, begins to read the word, listen to sermons, begin to understand and ask questions, begin to make progress and 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 journey you know towards the Lord in that sense and it 's someone who makes God a priority, someone who makes it a priority to grow somebody who, who makes it a priority to mature and to learn and to understand all that they can about the Lord. And this seed grows, right? And the fruit that comes from that person's life is amazing, God says, right? He's, it's 30, 60, 100 full, you know? This is the thing. The truth is not all of us are as productive for the kingdom as others, but this is, this is the challenge before us. You have the ability to be fruitful if you've received him. Just open up your mind, put your roots down, and say, use me in any way possible. Enhance my abilities, anoint my my wisdom, lead me. And when you approach him with this passion and this burn in you to be used, he uses you. It just happens, right? So, you know, someone who's fruitful and is growing, you'll see... You know, it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Ties back into Galatians 5, right? So I mean, it's the love, the joy, the peace, the, the patience, all these things that grow in our lives when we're really beginning to mature in God. It should be seen and should be obvious in our lives when it's real, right? And so this is, this is uh, sort of the seed and the soil. So he uses four stories, okay? So one's the strong man. Choose the seed and the soil. And again, again, it's a mirror. So who are you? Who are you in this story? Are you the hard heart who just won't receive anything from God? Are you the shallow heart? You've believed, but you never really put your roots down, and when tough times come, you, you fade away. Are you the crowded heart where you've never made them priority? That you 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 have so many other things that God God's just in there somewhere, but somehow he's gotten lost. Or are you the fruitful heart, someone who's really put down roots and made it a priority to go after him? This is the mirror that the parable is meant to show you. And if you have an open, humble, honest heart, you'll see yourself somewhere in this parable, right? And if you don't have the humble, open heart, then you won't see this and get this at all what's he talking about seed and throwing on soil? Who cares about that? Well, that's because you're not ready to hear, right? And so the next one is this. Uh, It's a parable of the lamp, uh, 21 to 23. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. He's never random. We, we, we always skip, you know, that last verse, 23. He, he says it constantly in the parables. This is Listen, understand, see yourself in this. This is what he's saying, right? So what is he talking about, this parable? he uses the simple picture of a lamp, okay? So f- we know that for a lamp to give light to the home, it needs to be uncovered. It needs to be put on its stand raised up so that the light can shine everywhere. It's it's not going to do you any good if the light is hidden. If you stick it under your bed, it's okay if you're looking for that coin you dropped, but it's not that good to light the rest of your house, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's 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 useless. It's worthless if the light is hidden. So get it here, believer. As believers, we are called to be light in dark places, right? So if our light is hidden, we are worthless for the kingdom of God. The light must shine. This little light of mine. Come on, I'm gonna let it shine. All oh, this little light of mine. Right. I'm gonna let it shine. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Okay, so you get it. Okay? Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Right, so let it shine, man, because if it's not shining, you're useless. That's a hard thing to receive, but it's kind of true when we're honest with ourselves. And there's been times in all our lives, mine included, when our light has been hidden. We've been intimidated, we've been afraid. We've been ashamed, we've been embarrassed, whatever the case may be, and we just tuck that away a little bit, not, let, not, not bring it out too, too much, you know, and um, you, know, in, 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 I, I, you know what I mean. We don't have to be so politically correct that we don't have to let the light of Jesus shine out of our lives. Yes, we need to be wise. We're not going to be ramming things down people's throats, but live your life and let the anointing of God flow from us. He is a great, great light. We have received the wonderful light of the gospel, and we have to let this light shine. This is what he's saying. There's no sense to covering up things because one day God's going to reveal it all. Look at Mark 4, 24 to 25. News about him spread as far as Syria. That's Matthew? Did I say Matthew? Mark 4. Let me read it for you. I got it here. It says this. Then he added this. Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. Just listen to these very carefully because i make a point here. He added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding that you'll be given. And you will receive even more. This is Mark 4, 25, 24 and 25, if you want to look it up. Underline these verses, they're really cool. Right. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. Verse 25, he says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away. This is interesting, these verses. Uh, This is what I mean. Right, when he, and he, he's tying this in with a lamp. He's talking about this just after a lamp. So he's saying, look, you know that if the lamp has no oil, back in those days, you're burning oil in this lamp, right? In this little pot, little clay pot. And so if there's no oil, the light's not going to burn. It's not going to shine. It's going to go out. And so he's saying, the more that you take in, the more that you can. Isn't that deep? That's deep, eh? Isn't that deep? But, but the more we take in, the more we can give out. And, but, but it's more than that. It's more than that. This is what he's saying. The more that you burn, the more that you'll receive. Hmm? I am more than enough. And so whenever you're using up, letting that light shine for his glory and being used for the kingdom, you think God's just going to let you run dry, burn out, you know, burnt to a crisp, frivel up like a raisin? No, he's saying... You, yeah, you, you keep pouring it out and I'll keep pouring it in. You keep pouring it out and I'll keep pouring it in. You keep pouring it out and I'll keep pouring it in. Yeah, we need a break once in a while. Yeah, we need a holiday, but listen, you keep pouring it out and I'll keep pouring it in. That's what he's saying, right? The more you burn, the more you're going to receive. The better you listen and understand, he says, the better you listen and understand then the more understanding will be given to you, right? Our spiritual hearing, understand this, our spiritual hearing determines how much we're going to have to give to others. Because if we listen well, if we pay attention better, then we're going to receive more and have more to give to others. So are you following me? So our spiritual hearing and understanding will ultimately determine how much we have to give out to others. Because if we're giving and understanding, then we're going to be getting and receiving more and allowing us to get, continue to give more. He's saying, "Play close attention, pay attention, and you will be given more. If you don't listen, if you don't pay attention, then you'll never receive, and what you have will eventually be, be no good because you'll burn out and it'll be gone, and you'll have nothing left to give. This is what he's saying. So the parable of the Lamb, it's really, really, really an important little parable, and, and a, a kind of a key, I believe, for believers to look at and understand that the more we give out and the more we, we serve the Lord, the more he promises to bless us and strengthen us and to restore us and to keep us moving forward. He is a God who is more than enough. He is still Jehovah Jireh, our provider, and it's not just with our bread and our cash and our cars. No. He's the provider of our strength. He's the provider of our power, of our anointing, of our giftings. He's the, he's, he's, he gives it everything to us. And so he wants that for us. The last one is this. There's two little parables tied in together about seeds. Uh, Mark four twenty six says, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, The seed sprouts and grows, but he doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First the leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens, and as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle. Come on now, for the harvest time has come. A beautiful, beautiful phrase. So listen, all this little parable is saying to us is this. This is reminding us that we can't make the seed grow. The farmer, the servant, is required to scatter the seed. You do your job, and he does his, right? You throw the seed, you don't understand what's going to happen to that seed. You don't understand why that person responds and that person doesn't. You don't know five years from now that something you said will come back into the mind's of somebody, you don't know how the spirit of God's going to use that seed and you don't need to know. All you need to know is what your job is. And he's saying, listen, your job is to throw the seed. Your job is to be the light. Your job is to scatter that seed. The harvest is not up to you. It's up to the Lord of the harvest. And that's not you. Right. So the the harvest is not up to us. It takes work. (coughs) Excuse me. It takes work and patience to keep sowing the seed. Oh, don't we know? Don't we know? And yes, when we throw the seed, this is why he ties it in with the the other one about the bad soil and the good soil. Because listen, when you're sowing the seed, some's going to fall on bad soil. Some's going to fall on the hard soil. Some's going to fall on the shallow soil. Some's going to fall on the rocky soil. But some will land on fertile soil. And it might not be that day. And you don't need to know when that day comes. All you need to know is that you've done the job and the rest is in the hands of God. And so, yeah, some's going to fall on bad soil, but he's saying, listen, stay faithful, stay, keep at it, be patient. A farmer works hard, by the way. He goes out there, you know, in the bad weather, in the good weather, he does what he has to do. If he doesn't, he knows that the crop will never grow and the harvest will never come but he has to be patient, he has to be hardworking, he has to be diligent, he has to be determined, he has to be committed, and when he does his job, he knows and believes that somehow, way, that seed is going to grow, and harvest time will come. And, and, and this is what he's saying. So listen, stay faithful and keep at it, for the harvest will come. That's what Jesus said. Look at Galatians 6, 9. He said, so let's not get tired of doing what is good, because at just the right time, You'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Keep it on, and there will be harvest. This is the other one he ties in, and and really I'm done after this, okay? Are, Are you getting something out of this? Okay, so Mark 4.30. Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all seeds but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It it grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. So you see my point? He uses parables to reveal and he uses parables to conceal. And it, it was like he scattered the seed and said, those, those who have the right heart will, will receive this and understand what I'm trying to say. Those that don't, it, it, will, be, it will be snatched away. But, but it, this is what he's saying. This is what happened. So this, this is a simple thing. And Jesus is just letting the disciples know that the kingdom of God, has a, it might have had a small beginning but it's going to grow to a very, very large size. Jesus began with 12 men, 12 men that he called to himself. Then it went to 70, then it went to 120, and then on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were added on one day alone, and that number kept climbing as the church was formed and the light was was presented to more and more people throughout, throughout the world I want you to be encouraged today that that number, no matter what no matter what anyone says, that number is still growing today. That number continues to grow today. It's growing in Africa. It's growing in China. It's growing in India. It's growing in Canada, oh God. It's growing all over the world. It's still growing and still going on, right? I know that we can get discouraged thinking that we're small, you know, but I want, I, uh, he's saying, listen, God loves to work with small things. Don't despise the beginning. Don't despise a small thing. For when God is in it, who knows what can happen, right? So don't get discouraged thinking that we're small, but understand that God loves to work with small things and he gets more glory that way, you see? Nobody can take the credit for it when it starts ridiculously small and grows ridiculously big. It's only the hand of God that can do that. And so the seed may be small, but the impact over time will be huge, he said. The mustard seed will be planted, but it will grow into a massive tree, and birds will find shade in its branches. It will be big. Now, his kingdom, we know, shall never end. So the point and the takeaway for today is this listen carefully. And see yourself in these parables. This is the takeaway for all of us. There's four simple ones. The strong man. Do you see yourself as being so far gone that God's not able to reach down and save you? Someone in your family that you think is so dark and so, so lost that, that somehow there's no hope? You're wrong. Don't believe it. The strong man is strong but he is even stronger. He is able. So listen, take that. Get that, right? And don't don't get into the idea and the nonsense of the unforgivable sin. You open up your life and open up your heart to God. Don't reject the Son and don't reject the Spirit for there will come a time when you've waited too long. But, But this is the parable. See yourself there. The seed and the soil. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart, the fruitful heart. Where are you in that parable? Who are you? The parable of the lamp, right? The lamp is called to give light to the house. Are you someone who's been hiding that lamp? Are you someone that's putting it on a stand and trying to be your best to shine for God? Are you, understand, are you afraid that if you, too, if you do too much for the kingdom, if you put out too much effort, if you give too much of your time, talent, resources, that you'll be tapped out and that you'll, that you'll be run dry, understand that the more you give, the, the more light you throw, the more oil he will pour in. He will see you through. He will get you through. He will give you cash. He will give you people. He will find a way because he's God. That's what he does, right? See yourself in that. And the parable of the last seeds, right? You can't make the seed grow. Your job, don't you get frustrated when you just want to grab somebody by the collar and say, get saved now. <laughs> in Jesus' name, you're saved. There you go. I'm just going to do that for you. You know, wouldn't that be nice? You have brothers, sisters, sons, daughters. You've all been tempted to do that. But, but listen, that's not our job. Our job is to sow the seed, see yourself in that parable, and see your place, Right? And don't get discouraged, for the seed starts small. But one great and glorious day, we will all gather around the throne. For we are part of a kingdom that will never end. His name is Jesus. And he is the best there ever was and the best that will ever will be. Amen?